0: Will you please join me in turning to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. We're going to be bouncing around Hebrews a little bit, um, but after opening uh, with those songs in worship, and as I was thinking about our next um, adventure, our, our next journey through the real the real Jesus, knowing the real Jesus, um, I believe that what we're going to see this morning speaks to both of those things, both of where we're going and uh, and what we've just sung. Um, you know, I was thinking about um, what Mary Beth was saying about that hymn, Be Thou My Vision. and And the terminology there is kind of, you know, Not not terminology we use a lot today. What does it mean for something to be our vision? And really the, the central focus behind that statement, that command really is, may my eyes and my heart and my mind be so focused on this one thing that it drives every aspect of my life. And we're going to see today that that's kind of the direction that I want us to begin to go down as we consider Christ. Not only this morning, but every day. How do we consider Christ? And so our first text that I want to start with is found in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. And then I want to jump to the beginning of Hebrews 2 and read Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. And then we're just going to be kind of flipping throughout the first few chapters of Hebrews as we go. But in honor for God's word, would you please stand with me as we just read these few verses? Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and then Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. It says this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more than theirs. And then the beginning of chapter two, the first three verses. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention. I want us to focus on that this morning. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray God, that we would hear this command to pay close attention to what we have heard and the things that we have heard are in regards to your son. May we consider Christ all the more today and that our lives would be lives of constant consideration to who Christ is. And by doing so, we might glorify him and honor him and therefore honor you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In a 2011 National Public Radio article, the visionary behind Google's social media platform, Google+, Vic Gandatra tells about a conversation that he had with the late Steve Jobs, former CEO of Apple. In this conversation, Vic says he missed a phone call from Steve Jobs while Vic was attending a religious ceremony and received a voicemail urging Vic to call him back because there was something that was pressing on Steve Jobs' mind. Vic says that after receiving... This voicemail, he calls Steve Jobs back expecting to hear a long-winded complaint about something going on with Google and the iPhone. But instead, after some general chit-chat, Steve Jobs informs Vic that the urgent matter that must be fixed immediately was that the second O in the word Google on the iPhone was the wrong shade of yellow. That was it. That was the urgent matter that needed to be addressed. From our scripture reading just a moment ago, we see this, that as Christians, we are responsible and even commanded to pay very close attention. And where the thing at stake for Steve Jobs in his careful consideration of the Google icon was probably money or professionalism. According to the text, for us as Christians, carefully considering the words of Christ, the thing that is at stake in our lives is not money. It's not professionalism. It's something so much more. It's our very soul's. Our very souls depend on our careful consideration of the word of God. And so therefore, it is with great caution and great concern that these words are said. We must pay very close attention. So here's where I'm going with this today. I believe that the maturing Christian if you claim to be a Christian in here and you claim to grow into, in, in maturity in Christ, there are two things that you must constantly be considering. And they are, number one, the person of Christ. The maturing Christian constantly, daily, considers the person of Christ. And second, the maturing Christian considers the passions of their heart. Those are the two things that we're gonna focus in on today. Now, as we begin to first consider the person of Christ, let me say this. Let me me give a great concern that I have not only in many Christians' lives, but if if I could be honest with you, a concern that I have in my own life. One of my greatest fears in life is this, I fear that I will come to a point where I have convinced myself that I know Christ sufficiently. That's a danger. That's a danger in my life. And I just want to be honest about that. That, that I fear coming to know Christ sufficiently. And you might be saying, whoa, hold on. How is knowing Christ sufficiently a danger? This is how it's a danger. The problem with that attitude is that I would have convinced myself that further consideration of Christ is of no value. That further consideration of Christ means nothing to me. You cannot sing, be thou my vision, without it being a continual consideration of who Christ is. I pray that God would spare me of that fear. That that all the days of my life, day after day after day, every aspect of my life would be a consideration of who Christ is. And yet, as another hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I feel that wandering. I see this coming about in my own heart because I see my own half-hearted devotion to Christ. I see my failure to consider him daily. I see it in my desire for glory and personal praise. And I see it in my refusal to give him the glory and praise that he deserves. Students, we must pay very close attention and we must consider the dangers that are so near to our hearts. And we must consider Christ. Because here's the thing. When we consider Christ daily, faithfully, we see that Christ is our eternal hope. We see that he was faithful in suffering and he is faithful to deliver us. So, the first thing that I want us to consider is Christ in his suffering. Christ in his suffering. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Hebrews 2, 10 and 11. It says this For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, and that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Students, there is a great comfort in the biblical story, the biblical narrative where Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the grave. And there's a great comfort in the story where Jesus is in the garden praying. Literally drops of blood are coming from him as he's about to be betrayed by Judas. And there's a great comfort in the cross of Christ and in his death. And in each three, in all three of those instances, we see this, that Christ suffers And that Christ suffers with a multitude of tears. And so the first question I want us to consider this morning is this. Have you taken the time and considered the sorrow and the sufferings our Savior faced? Because there's a comfort there. There's a joy there that Christ suffers like we do. And by experiencing that kind of suffering, he is not ashamed to call us brothers to say, I know what that's like. You know, we frequently think of suffering as kind of this James Bond interrogation scene, right? Where it's just like this one moment of immense pain that takes place and after that everything's fine. But there's actually another kind of suffering. There's another kind of suffering. A suffering that is a daily, slow, constant bearing of a weight. Day after day after day. It's kind of like, um, you know, I've been trying to get better at doing pull-ups in the gym. I'm terrible at them. I think it has something to do with how short my arms are or something. I don't know. Okay, But when... I was researching like how to get better at pull-ups. One of the things you have to get, you have to work on first is your grip. Your pull-ups are only as good as your grip. Okay. And so these coaches and people that know how to do pull-ups, not me, um, they say the first thing you need to work on in in working on your grip is simply just to grab onto a pull-up bar and hang there. Okay. Just hang on. And, and the reason th- that works is because your, your muscles and your forearms and your hands start to get used to holding the weight, the dead hang weight from that pull-up bar. Well, when you first jump on that pull-up bar, you're like, man, I could do this all day, right? I'm just hanging here, okay? Usually, I have a four-year-old and a three-year-old hanging on. It's a little bit tougher than that, okay? But, um, but you just hang there. And then after, as time goes on, second passes, right, your muscles begin to wear down, your grip fails, and ultimately you fall. You see, the sec- this second kind of suffering is like hanging from a pull-up bar. It's a slow but consistent trial. Maybe, maybe some of you in here, maybe it's not that immense single pain, that one day that just hurts. Maybe it's year after year, week after week, there is a trial you're going through. Can I tell you that Jesus knows that suffering just as well as the immense suffering on the cross. He knows both. And here's the great comfort in that suffering, in both types of suffering. The scriptures tell us that the suffering you face is not pointless it's not in vain whether you feel like the suffering right now is too cruel and too immense for you to bear or that suffering that you you bear every day is just too much christ has experienced both and here's the great comfort he is able he is able to use that suffering for his kingdom and for his glory. Because he is shared in that suffering. Because he is shared in that suffering as he is right now. He stands before the Father and he is not ashamed to say, I am like them. I know what they're going through. If if you don't get anything from this today, get this one point. Okay, listen up. Here it is. Students, you will never be more like Christ than when you suffer. Okay, you got that? You will never be more like Christ than when you suffer. But, But hold on, I mean... Chris, I'm not really suffering right now. I mean, I go to a good school. I got good grades. My family is good. I come home. There's food in the pantry. There's food on the table. Students, don't deceive yourself. Trials are coming. Suffering is coming. And I know that may seem a little doom and gloom, but it's true. And it's true because Christ promises that. He promises that this life is not easy. And he is our example that this life is not easy. Do you want to show your friends the love of Christ? Do you want to show them the example of Christ? Suffer and consider Christ in the midst of that suffering. I pray that when we do go through trials, that our minds and our hearts would drift to the suffering that Christ faced. Because here's the second thing. When we consider Christ in the midst of our suffering, we also consider his faithfulness. That's the second thing. We are to constantly consider Christ in suffering, and we are to constantly consider Christ in his faithfulness. Look with me at Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So notice the distinction here. There's two individuals in regards to faithfulness that we have to consider in this passage. One is Christ, his faithfulness, and the second is Moses and his faithfulness. Well, the question then becomes, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between Moses' faithfulness And Jesus faithfulness. And the answer is we have to look at their positions. The author here makes a very strong distinction. Jesus is faithful as a son. Moses is faithful as a servant. Well, what's the difference between those two? You have to consider those two positions in regards to an inheritance. Okay, let me give you an example. Let's say there's a man who owns um, a hundred million dollar estate. Okay, and this man is leaving for about 10 years. Okay, well, he needs someone to care for his estate. And so he goes to a friend, a good friend, and he says, listen here, buddy, I'm leaving. I'm going away for 10 years. I need someone to care for my estate. Would you do that for me? You can enjoy all the things that are in my house. You can enjoy, you know, all the blessings of, of you know, being on this estate. Take care of it. But, but remember, these things are mine. They are not yours. Now, consider that situation compared to another one. Same man, same estate. But this time, instead of a friend, he asked his own son to watch over the estate. And this man says, son, I'm going away for about 10 years. Would you mind looking over my estate? Enjoy it, be blessed by it, take care of it. But here's the difference. I'm going away, but after a certain time, I'm going to give you all the estate. And it will all be yours. Everything, all $100 million worth of the estate will be yours after a certain time period. Think about the mindset between the son and the friend. You see, the friend, his mindset is, man, this is a really good friend. He has entrusted me with all the things that he has in this estate. But ultimately, those things aren't mine. And ultimately, they will never be mine. But with the son, the son says, man, my father has entrusted me with a great possession. And it is my joy to take care of these things to, to the glory of my father. And one day, one day, all that is in this estate will be mine You see, in that illustration, Moses is the friend, he's the servant, and he served with great joy, and he served well, but Jesus is the son, and he serves the father joyfully, and he serves the father faithfully. Now, in in Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, let's look at this, okay? Okay. What is the estate that Christ both serves and receives? What is the house that Jesus receives? And the answer is found in the end of verse six. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence. Church, we are the house of God. Christians are the possession that Christ receives. So here's how Christ's faithfulness affects you, okay? This is how Christ's faithfulness affects you. The faithfulness of Christ to the will of God is the assurance, the full assurance of your salvation. The faithfulness of Christ is the full assurance of your salvation. If you look for assurance... Of your salvation in your own faithfulness, you won't find it. You won't find it. And many people do. They try to find their assurance of salvation in their own faithfulness. You won't find it. You know why? Because you fail. You mess up. You sin. And when you do, you know, sometimes our hearts gravitate towards an attitude of, oh, well, I guess I'll just keep on messing up, I'll, I'll keep falling into this temptation, I'll keep sinning. May it never be. Instead, it is in those moments when we are longing for assurance of salvation, when we desire to rest in our redemption, that our hearts and our minds, what did we say at the very beginning pay very close attention to the person of Christ. And we pay very close attention to not only his suffering, but his faithfulness. It's like another hymn. I'm just quoting hymns like crazy right now. It's like another hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, completely lean on Jesus' name. Why? Because he's faithful. This leads to our, our final consideration of Jesus. We've said that we must consider Christ in his suffering. We must consider Christ in his faithfulness. And finally, we must consider Christ as our guarantee. I mean, all three of those are related, but we see that, that Jesus is our guarantee in Hebrews 6, verses 19 through 20. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there quickly. Hebrews six, nineteen through 20. It says this, and we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Man, I just love that phrase. We could just stop right there, right? We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the place, the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. We're going to focus in on this phrase right here where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Let me tell you why that is our guarantee. By the Holy Spirit's inspiration of God's word, it's not only that Jesus has entered into the holy place, entered into a place that only he himself can enter, but he enters there on our behalf. Let me tell you why that's such a joy for you, Christian. It's because when he returns, he will take us back to that place. We don't consider that. That he is there on our behalf. And when the father tells him to return, he will go and he will gather his bride, the church, and he will take them back. To that inner place where the Father is. So that where he is, we will be also. He is our guarantee. Not our own faithfulness. His faithfulness. And so in light of those three things. That I've tried to quickly go through. That Jesus is that we consider Jesus in his suffering, that we consider Jesus in his faithfulness, that we consider Jesus as our guarantee. I just very quickly want to consider three things of our own, own hearts, right? We said at the beginning, the maturing Christian considers Jesus the person and the passions of their own heart. The first one is consider the temptations of your heart, okay? Consider the temptations of your heart. Hebrews 3.12 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. So in light of Jesus' faithfulness, the first thing that you must consider is the evil desires of your own heart. you have to identify those temptations and then ask yourself, is this this evil? Is this leading me astray? Is my desire leading me to unbelief? You know, the command take care sounds a lot like pay close attention. It involves an intentional effort to watch out Students, we have to evaluate ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to ask this question. What is pulling my heart away from Christ-like faithfulness? I think that's a great question we have to ask ourselves daily. What in my life daily is pulling me away from Christ-like faithfulness? The second thing that we must consider is the grip of our confidence the grip of our confidence okay we kind of talked about hanging from a from a pull up bar okay well let's look at hebrews 3 uh verses 13 and 14 we just read 12 let's look at 13 and 14 but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today you see that the daily aspect of lifting each other up encouraging one another let me tell you when you do that you strengthen the grip of brothers and sisters around you. Christians, it is your responsibility to reach out to brothers and sisters that you see in this room and exhort them, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday nights, daily. Because when you do that, you strengthen their grip and their confidence of Christ. Let me tell you, That's one of the great joys, Mary Beth. That's one of the great joys of singing together. Because when you sing together and you lift up praise together, you look around and you're singing the exact same words that the person next to you is singing. And they're singing it and they mean it. They mean it. Be thou my vision. Christ is my vision. Christ is my vision. Christ is my vision. And you're united together. To a greater grip of your confidence in the faithfulness of Christ. Man, that's, man, if that doesn't get you just fired up about the communion that you find with one another, man, something's messed up. I want to read Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 23. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. This word, hold fast, the word hold fast is one word in, in Greek. And it appears three times, only three times in Hebrews. It appears two times in Hebrews 3. And we've already read both of those. I'm not going to go back. But I want to read very quickly Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. And see this final hold fast moment. Very quickly. Uh, Hebrews 10, 19. Let us hold fast. There it is. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. How? How can I do that? How can I stand in confidence without wavering? Is it on me? Is it in my faithfulness? No. Look at the end. For he who promised is what? Faithful. Faithful. Your confidence is in the faithfulness of Christ. That's it. That's it. We have to consider in our own hearts, our own temptations, and our confidence in the faithfulness of Christ. And the last thing, in our own hearts, we have to consider the source of our hope, the source of our eternal hope. I'm very quickly running out of time, so turn with me to Hebrews chapter seven. This is it, Hebrews chapter seven. I wanna read Hebrews seven, verses 22 through 28. Thank you for being patient with me as we flip through Hebrews, but I wanna read Hebrews seven twenty-two through 28. And the thing that I want us to notice is the hope that we find in Christ is an eternal hope. I want you to look for the words that seem to indicate a Eternality, a foreverness of the hope that we find in Christ. After we read that, and after you consider that, I want us to pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Hebrews 7, verses 22 through 28. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office but he holds his priesthood permanently there's one because he continues forever there's another one consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always, there's another one, lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have a, such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and for those of the people, since he did this once for all. There's another one when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. There's another one. Students, let us pay very close attention and let's consider carefully, daily, moment by moment, the temptations of our hearts, the confidence of our hearts, and the hope, the eternal hope of our hearts. Where are those things? What are those things in your own heart? I pray that you would consider them today. And then I pray that we would consider carefully and pay very close attention to Christ. That we would pay very close attention to Christ and his suffering we would pay very close to Christ in his faithfulness and very close to Christ in his promises. Let's pray. Father, it is our prayer today that Christ would be our vision. God, that we would rest on nothing else but the faithfulness of Christ And we have seen that in your word today. And God, I pray that you would bring great conviction on our hearts where we have placed faults, supports. God, supports that will fail when our world is turned upside down. God, I pray that our faithfulness would be only in the faithfulness of Christ. God, help us to consider Christ today and every day. Consider him on the cross. Consider him faithful to the, to the plan of the Father and consider him our guarantee because our hearts drift, our hearts drift to, to temptations of the flesh and of the world. Our hearts, our hearts are so fickle, they don't grab hold to the surety of Christ. Would our hope, our eternal hope, be in Christ the true guarantee? And that he would be glorified. And that when our world is turned upside down, God, we rest. We have a great peace in Christ. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen.